morning, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Wisdom Awakening, soon to be E.W. Jackson across America. I'm your host, Bishop E.W. Jackson. Great to be with you again today. Um, Look, I want to let you know that I will be speaking in Louisville, Kentucky this coming Sunday, twice, morning and afternoon services for more Grace Ministries. That's at 2601 Montgomery Street in Louisville, Kentucky, 2601 Montgomery Street in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, At least I'm pretty sure that is the correct address. Um, The church has two locations. Uh, I'll I'll double check that and make sure tomorrow to, to, in fact, if I can, I'll check it today. Um, Let me see here. I told you folks, this is, this is, this is live stuff. Um, I'm just double checking. And if I get this during the program, I'll let you know, but I'll be there Sunday morning, uh, for service at 10 AM and Sunday afternoon for service at 3 PM. So if you're in the Louisville, Kentucky area, got a lot of listeners, a lot of supporters in, in Kentucky, um, Love to have you show up. Love to see you there. Okay. That's more Grace Ministries. We're celebrating Pastor's anniversary and I'll be speaking. Uh, so wanted to get that out of the way. There are lots of topics I could jump on, but I'm not going to do that. I want to get right into the word today uh, because that's just where I feel led today. So, okay. That's just where I feel led. So let's get right into it. Of course, by the way, since the nature of the program is changing, and I won't be doing this expository teaching where I'm going through books of the Bible the same way. I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to do that. The Word of God will be woven into everything I do and say anyway. So it's not as if, um, if we won't be getting into the Word at all. It's just that the way we do it is, is undoubtedly going to be uh, somewhat different. Uh, okay, that having been said, let's get back to First Thessalonians. Uh, and we're picking up at chapter 3. And remember, these are pastoral epistles. The Apostle Paul is writing to the churches, the various churches, some of which he founded, some of which have sprung up. But he's writing to these churches, telling them, most of which, by the way, he founded, telling them what he's up to, what he's doing, encouraging them in their faith and so forth. Um, And we just finished with him talking about the fact that his, his desire is for them to grow, for them to develop, for them to be everything that God called them to be. Uh, the last verse of, uh, that we covered was verse 5 of chapter 3, 1 Thessalonians, which says, For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you, and our labor might be in vain. You know, I think the biggest challenge that we have is Christians and the biggest challenge that we have as pastors and churches is discipling people. Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make Christians. He didn't say go into all the world and make um, converts. He didn't say go into all the world and make churchgoers. He said go into all the world and make what? Disciples. Did you know, I don't know whether I've ever shared this with you uh, online before. I've talked about it in various sermons I've preached, but did you know that the word Christian in the Bible is mentioned only three times, only three times, but the word disciple is mentioned 271 times. 
Jesus didn't say go into all the world and make Christians. He said go into all the world and make disciples. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not in any way saying there's something wrong with the term Christian. It's not. All I'm pointing out is that the biblical emphasis is on discipleship. And that's what the commandment, the Great Commission was, go into all the world and make disciples. I think the church has done a pretty poor job of that, frankly. I really do. Uh, and, and I struggle with it. Um, Andrew Womack's a good friend of mine, and, and when he and I talk about, about this issue, he said that was the reason for starting Karis, because Karis became a way of discipling people into maturity in the faith. And you're spending hours a day in the Word of God, and you are you, you've pulled aside from other things to do that. You're going to grow. You're going to mature. And unfortunately, the church, I mean the church universal, doesn't do a very good job of that. I mean, you know, what we call Sunday school, I mean, and I'm not knocking Sunday school, praise God for the effort, but let's face it, I mean, but often these little snatches of a lesson here and there with a little devotional and um, we, we, need, we need something deeper than that. We need a sense, first of all, discipleship really requires accountability and people don't like that today. They don't want to be accountable. They want to do their own thing. They want to disciple themselves in effect. That's really the way it works. Um, but the Apostle Paul is saying, I feel some responsibility for your growth and maturity and I wanted to check to make sure that the tempter hadn't tempted you and that the labor, the, the effort, the teaching I put in you is not in vain. You know, I've said, I have taught far more than anybody who's ever sat under me has learned because I teach so much, there's so much material in what I teach that it's simply not possible to receive that in one sitting. It's just not possible. Human beings aren't like that. Let's say you won't get the gist and you won't have a broad understanding, but I mean, I go into so many scriptures and so much detail uh, making the point that God has led me to make that you really need to hear the message more than once. And of course, I've met those people who said, I've listened to that particular message five times or something. I said, well, praise God, because that means you're really getting that down in your spirit. You're understanding it fully, but you're getting it down into your spirit as well. And that's what it takes to grow as a disciple. That's what it takes to, to avoid the tempter tempting you, getting you off track. I mean, he's going to try to tempt you anyway, but getting you off track and, and getting you following him instead of following God. Okay, sixth verse, it says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, as we also to see you. Now, now notice this. You know, here again, this is something that, that people don't get. Um, in order for Christianity, in order for the church the ecclesia, the cortique, the people of the Lord, the living body of Jesus Christ to function properly. There has to be decency and order. And here again, a lot of people, you got basically two different ditches. You get the, the, the cult experience where people think that the pastor is like God and, and everything the pastor says 
they're supposed to do and, and, and that the pastor or the elders or whatever the group is control every aspect of your life. Now that's a cult ditch. That is a cult ditch. But then you get on the other side of the ditch where, you know, you're nobody special and there's, you know, the pastor's nobody special. I don't have to pay any more attention to him. I pay to anybody else. And, you know, do you, the pastor, I've had people stand up in churches and testify. Well, you know, we, we think too much of the, I mean, so that's the other side of the ditch. Complete disregard of spiritual authority, complete disregard of the order that God has placed the church in and under. Because the Bible says in Jeremiah 3.15, God said, I will give you pastors according to my heart who shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And of course, Ephesians chapter 4, which uh, four, six, uh, four, I think it's chapter 4, uh, which talks about the five-fold ministry. God has set an order in the church. And, and, and going down the middle of that road means properly respecting that order. So Paul says to Timothy, I mean, he says to the Thessalonian church, Timothy has come and brought us good news of your faith and love, okay? And that you always have good remembrance of us. In other words, you're not backstabbing us, talking about us behind your back, behind our backs, and saying nasty things about us. But you have a good remembrance of us. See, that's a matter of respect. It's a matter of honor. You know, you will, I, I, I have had several mentors who had a profound impact on my life. First, my pastor, the Reverend Dr. Rafe Taylor, uh, great man of God, great man of God. And he had to deal with an immature uh, Christian minister like me. And, and sometimes I look back and say, man, praise God that he had the patience he had because I basically knew almost nothing and certainly knew nothing about spiritual leadership and uh, made some terrible mistakes just in terms of, of understanding how church really ought to work. But my pastor was very patient with me. I mean, he was a man who would correct you now. Don't get me wrong. He would correct you. But I'm grateful for that. I, I, I will always be grateful to him. I'm looking forward to see he's going home to be with the Lord now. But I will, I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. Um, but he was in one of these churches when we started, Ebenezer Baptist Church in Boston. Whew. And there was a lot of rebellion, a lot of rebellion. Now, this goes back, of course, to the 1970s, folks. So the people who were involved in that are probably not even still with us, most of them. But um, they tried to get me caught up in that. I wouldn't do it. I, I still have a good remembrance of my pastor. And then there are several others. And I have a good remembrance of them. And he says, greatly desiring to see us. In other words, and we want you to come. I hesitate to get into this, but I'll share with you what I think is appropriate. When I left Boston uh, to come to Virginia, we had a church that was operating, doing fine. And um, I made a couple terrible mistakes in appointments. It's on me. Just, I look back on it, I know I should have done better. I was praying and asking God to help me to be a bishop because that was sort of ascended to that role. And now I'm responsible for appointing pastors and overseeing pastors. And so uh, I was asking God to help me because I knew basically I didn't know what I was doing really. 
um, I was feeling my way. I'd experienced leadership, but never leadership at this level, never, never leadership where I was over somebody who I was appointing to be a leader over other people. So I made a couple of terrible appointments. I thought they were good at the time, but they turned, pr proved to be disastrous. Well, one time I went back to visit, because I would, of course, go back to visit our church. I still do, by the way. Um, church has suffered a lot of setbacks that, that happened a while ago. But nevertheless, I still go back. And one time I went, and the atmosphere was different. The scripture here, greatly desiring to see us, I sensed that people weren't greatly desiring to see me. Now, not everybody, but just a change in the atmosphere. And that was because a devil had gotten in and unbeknownst to me was poisoning everyone against me because they wanted to take the ministry for themselves and they thought the way to do that was to undermine me by sowing the seeds of distrust and, and I mean, just say, saying all kinds of things about me, which I didn't find out about until later. But this is, what, this is what the Word of God is getting at. I mean, that's demonic, by the way, folks. You've heard me talk about this before. Everything that's wrong in life, everything, everything, there are no exceptions, everything, goes back to a single root sin. You know what that sin is? Betrayal. Betrayal. Because that's what Satan did in heaven and that's what got this whole thing started. That's what got him cast down to earth. That's what got him slithering his way into the garden and tempting Adam and Eve. The whole thing began with betrayal. Uh, a, a, an angelic being who got full of ego and self-aggrandizement and decided that he would be better off, that everybody would be better off with him on the throne and he was going to topple God and take over and thought that he could sneak around and God wouldn't know what he was up to. But the Bible says sin was found in him. God knew from, God knew exactly what he was up to. But that little sniveling, sneaky, sly snake tried to backstab God. In fact, he really did backstab God. It's just that he ultimately, all he really did was secure his own eternal damnation. That's all he really did. But remember that all sin, all that is wrong, began with the sin of betrayal. I mean, th think of what would happen if Satan had had these thoughts, then Lucifer had had these thoughts about, well, you know, I, I think I look good. I think I sound good. I've got music and all that. And, and you know, what if I, and if, instead he had rebuked that and said, I, 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 owe, I owe God everything. I am not about to think that way. I, I, I rebind and rebuke those thoughts, and, and I'm going to submit myself even more fervently to the, to the will of of my God and to doing his bidding, things would have been very different. But instead, he followed the impulse to rule over God rather than be ruled by God. And of course, when you start thinking that way, you become self-deceived 
because you then think that you know more than the person who is in charge. And you see that sin played out again and again and again, sadly, not just in the world, but in the church. Yeah, I said it because it needs to be said. And probably many of you watching me right now have watched it unfold where people rise up and backstab their pastor and try to hurt their pastor or hurt other leaders and just get, just, just absolutely get full of the devil. And by the way, you beware when somebody starts walking around. First of all, I've told people, if you're in a church where the word of God is not being preached and you're not being fed and you're not satisfied and, and the pastor won't speak to the issue of abortion, he won't speak to the issue of homosexuality and this whole transgender movement that threatens to engulf and drown our culture in depravity. And you, 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 you are frustrated by it. Get out of there. Find a pastor who's got the courage to speak to the issues of the day from a biblical perspective. But that aside, you know, somebody walking around the church and don't you do it either, even if you don't agree with the pastor and just, just sowing these little seeds of dissension. Well, he didn't do this and he didn't do that and he didn't speak to me and, and I heard this and I heard that. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's the devil. Look, either you're for that leader or, you're, or, or you feel like you can't be because of where he stands and if you feel like you can't be, Go find somebody who you can honestly and with integrity and honor give your support. Don't, don't let Satan get in on that and turn you into one of his because that's the very essence of his character. Betrayal, deception, backstabbing, undermining, sedition, overthrowing. These Christians in Thessalonica said, uh, uh, Paul said of these Christians that Timothy brought back word, you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us. And by the way, when I went back to that church and th saw that little sense that they weren't greatly desiring to see me, that little sense of separation, it was the beginning of an explosion and my failure to address it boldly and forthrightly at its inception ended up being one of the biggest mistakes I've ever made in ministry because it ultimately exploded in my face. And I feel I had a chance to arrest it when I first sensed it, but I didn't. I didn't do anything because at that point it didn't seem like it was enough for me to speak to it or to address it. Uh, but it of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. In hindsight, it really was. So therefore, brethren, in all of our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. And you know what the Apostle Paul is saying here, what the Word of God is saying is there is a symbiotic relationship between spiritual leadership and followers. And when, when Paul says here, for now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord, he's saying that the measure of our ministry is your effectiveness, your steadfastness, your commitment. You know, there's not a pastor that I know who, when, when something goes wrong in the life of a Christian, where Christians just really kind of gone off track or acting contrary or doing and saying things that are just 
And believe me, I've kind of, I pretty much heard it all. A pastor doesn't say, well, what could I do? What did I do? What did I not do? What could I do differently? What, what could I, how can I improve? How can I be better? How can I hit this kind of stuff? In, in some ways, every pastor, I, I know I do, internalizes that and all, because I can't control what other people do, but I can control what I do. And I'm always asking, is there something I could have done, should have done, could do better in the future that might have headed that off? It's like I shared with you that I thought I could have headed off the, the, the crisis that my church had in Boston, but I didn't have the wisdom. I didn't see the necessity of making some kind of bold stand and nipping that thing in the bud. Because I definitely sensed it. My wife did too. We were together and we both sensed it. And I should have done something right, right there on the spot. It probably would have caused something of an explosion there, but I believe the explosion would have been far smaller than what ultimately happened, which I won't get into. All right. The ninth verse. For what thanks can we render to God for you? For all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. You know, this is really interesting because the word of God is saying here through the Apostle Paul that, man, I owe God a debt of gratitude for all the joy that I experienced through the saints of God. And I talked about some negative experiences, but I'll tell you, I've had some wonderful experiences and some wonderful people who have just blessed me beyond measure. That, yeah, there've been those imps, there've been those demonically possessed people, uh, and I have no doubt that they will continue in one way or another to come into our orbit. What did Jesus say? Have I not chosen all of you and one of you is a devil? So I have no doubt about that. But, uh, but on the other hand, God sends people who are a blessing. I've never met a perfect Christian, but I've met some people who are just salt of the earth, godly people. Who, who I, as I've said before, and I don't say this about a whole bunch of people, <laughs> because you can't. If you say it about a whole bunch of people, something's probably wrong with you. But I've met people in the body of Christ that I've met along the way that I would, I would trust them with my life. I mean, maybe that's what Paul is getting. He said, for now we live if you stand fast in the faith. I, I trust you with my life. It says, night and day, praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. In other words, I want to keep discipling you. I want to keep helping you grow. I want to keep being a blessing to you. I want to see you continue to mature. I want to see you continue to grow. That's really the heart of a pastor. You want to see people grow. And I'll tell you, it's, I, I, I've always believed this, and I think I'm right about it. The most difficult leadership role that has ever been devised is the role of pastor. And the reason is that most of the people that you are leading you owe you absolutely no allegiance other than what's in their hearts to give you. In other words, you're not paying them. 
Um, you're not their military commander. Uh, they, they don't work for you, so they're not employees. They're not contractors. In other words, they're not people who you have any control over other than to persuade them that the direction in which you want to lead them is the right one. Military people don't have that problem. You join the military, you are under orders, period. It's not, well, persuade me to take that hill. Let's see if you can. <laughs> no, take that hill. That's an order. Or you want a paycheck, right? Well, this is what I require you to do. But church is not like that. I mean, sure, you can have big churches with, with large staffs, but if the church has a large staff, it means it has a larger membership. And most of those members, overwhelmingly, what, 90% of them? Don't, they're not, they're not bound by any contract of employment or, or, or military service or anything like that. In other words, the only leverage a pastor has is the anointing of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, for the most part. Of course, we have staff too, and, 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 but that's, in, but that's a, in kind of a different category, but the staff is not the church. So, the Apostle Paul is saying, the Word of God is saying to us, the heart of a pastor is to see people grow and to develop and to become everything that God wants them to become. Paul says that we may see your faith and perfect what is lacking in your faith. Now, let me ask you a question as we get to winding this up. What's lacking in your faith? You know, Hebrews chapter 12 says, uh, verse 1 and 2, lay aside every sin and the, every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And, and I think the, 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 it is a proper interpretation that was said, the sin that so easily besets us, I really believe that's speaking to each one of us about the areas of our lives in which we are more prone to sin. See, everybody's besetting sins are not the same. For, some, for one person, it may be temper. For another person, it may be patience. Uh, for another person, it may be rashness of judgment. For another person, it might be sexual temptation. For another person, it might be anxiety over money and, and the willingness to, 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 to easily compromise in order to feel financially secure. I mean, and you can just go down the list. Your challenges are different than mine. But every single Christian, let, make no mistake about that, every single Christian has areas where our faith needs to be perfected. And that's what the, the, the Word of God is getting at here. Um, and, and all of us should understand that. None of us has arrived. Each of us is on a journey. And our job is to keep growing. And by the way, growth is not accidental, it's intentional. You want to grow, you want to get better at the scripture, you want to be more disciplined and more committed in prayer, you want to draw closer to God, you want your praise life to be more vibrant, to be more, more powerful, more effective, 
Um, you want your faith to grow. You want to be more confident that God's got you and, and whatever you challenges you are facing, you are going to overcome. For this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. See, we don't, we don't remain stagnant. We should be growing. Jesus himself grew. The Bible says he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And yet he was perfect from the moment of birth. And yet he grew. Not only physically, but he grew in wisdom, grew in stature. In other words, he had to teach himself. He had to learn. He had to grow. Well, if the son of the living God, who was perfect from conception, could grow, you know you and I can grow. And, and, and if he had to grow, then you know you and I have to grow. I'm going to stop there. Uh, we've gotten into a, a good little bit of the word today. Uh, I do want to finish this book up before we move to our next phase of this program. It becomes E.W. Jackson for America. Uh, but we're going to continue to teach out of this and continue to do the hybrid approach until that. Might, right now, the goal is to convert the program on September the 6th. I trust we will make, meet that goal. That's what we're shooting for. If, if that doesn't happen, just bear with us. It's going to happen. It's just a question of when, uh, about how soon we can get it together. Because we, we've got to, 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 I think we're going to end up building a new set. Um, and obviously to sort of changing the look a little bit and making some other adjustments to the program. So, and of course the content is going to change too. I, here again, not not dramatically, but significantly. Well, look, that's going to do it for today. God bless each and every one of you. Stay in the word. It's a lamp to our feet, a light to our pathway. You hide God's word in your heart. It'll help you to not sin against him. But more importantly, just I should say just as importantly, not more importantly, but just as importantly, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. It'll cut the devil going and coming and it'll back him off of you quick. When the Bible says, resist the devil, he'll flee. You resist the devil with the word of God because that's exactly what Jesus did on the Mount of Temptation when he said, it is written, it is written, it is written, it is said. He quoted the word of God to him and the devil finally had to leave him alone. Waiting for a better season. Well, and when you're staying in the word, there is no better season for the devil, believe me. You just stick him with that word every time he gets anywhere near you. So God bless each and every one of you. I love you. Be praying for me. I'll be back to this afternoon, 1 p.m. Eastern time on, on American Family Radio for The Awakening. And again tomorrow morning at 8.30 a.m. for the conclusion of this week's Wisdom Awakening. In the meantime, remember, we cannot be defeated if we will not quit because we are on God's side.